0: Tonight's reading comes from Luke 20, verse 45, through Luke 21, verse 6. Jesus and the teachers of the law of Moses. While everyone was listening to Jesus, he said to his disciples, guard against the teachers of the law of Moses. They love to walk around in long robes, and they like to be greeted in the market, They want the front seats in the meeting places and the best seats at the banquets. But they cheat widows out of their homes and then pray long prayers just to show off. These teachers will be punished most of all. Jesus looked up and saw some rich people tossing their gifts into the offering box. He also saw a poor widow putting in two pennies. And he said, I tell you that this poor woman has put in more than all the others. Everyone else gave what they didn't need, but she is very poor and gave everything she had. Some people were talking about the beautiful stones used to build the temple and about the gifts that had been placed in it. Jesus said, do you see these stones? The time is coming when not one of them will be left in place, they will all be knocked down.
1: This is the word of the Lord. This summer my Good. This summer, um, we went through a series of encounters with Jesus. There is one more encounter we will look at. That is often referred to as the widow's mite. Jesus never directly encounters the widow, but his encounter is with his disciples and a large crowd of people about the widow. And that's the perspective we will take as we look at this passage. It is one of his last encounters with his disciples, just days before his crucifixion. And I believe it is an extremely important one. For all souls to consider. A question to think about tonight as we look at this text is Is there someone I know who is suffering? Is there someone in my life that I could help to ease their pain? And if you're struggling to think of the answer, the next question to ask yourself is Who am I not seeing? Who has been overlooked? The week of his crucifixion, Jesus was in the temple disputing the religious leaders. They were relentless in their attempts to trip him up, attack him, disqualify his messianic claims, and basically they were looking for a reason to execute him. Jesus calls these religious leaders out in front of his disciples and a large crowd of people, and Luke only gives us a few verses But if we read Matthew's parallel account in Matthew 23, we are given the full account of Jesus condemning these religious leaders for their hypocrisy, burdening God's people, neglecting justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And he warns his disciples not to identify with these leaders because they had built this false religion that just served to feed their pride and their self-centeredness. Exhausted from disputing these religious leaders, Jesus goes into the court of women and he sits down across from the temple's treasury. In the court of women, there were 13 trumpet-shaped receptacles used for free will offerings. They were narrow at the top and wide at the base and each one was labeled with what the freewill offering would be used for, wood for burning sacrifices or incense on the altar or upkeep of the golden vessels. And from his vantage point, Jesus sees a succession of rich people giving their offering, and then among them a very poor widow who would have naturally been overlooked because of her appearance and her small offering. We don't know much about this woman, but we do know that she contrasts with the Pharisees in three ways. First, in her humility. The strong patriarchal culture of the first century for a woman to lose her husband was an economic and social tragedy. The loss of economic support placed her at the bottom of society, ranked with the, the immigrant and the orphan. Second, in her faithfulness, she is at the temple giving a freewill offering, one that is completely voluntary and honoring to God. And third, in her selflessness, she gives two coins or two lepta. A lepton was the smallest currency available both in size and value. Those two coins were all she had. Jesus says she gave more than all of the rich people because they gave out of their wealth, but she gave out of her poverty, and she put in everything she had to live on. Literally, this woman gave her life. Much has been said and written about this woman's faithfulness and her humility, but she also serves a very important purpose to warn you and I against identifying with a false religious system that overlooks the widow. Largely speaking, in our culture today, widows are not destitute like this first century widow was. So to put this in context, we must ask, who is the widow? The mission at All Souls is to seek the peace of the city, and to do so means we must open our eyes to see suffering empathize and to act compassionately how are you and I overlooking the widow in our city the marginalized the oppressed the destitute from this text there are three ways we are prone to overlook the widow and the first way is when we care more about our reputation than the poor the scribes and Pharisees were esteemed greatly in their culture for being righteous teachers of the law, their love of popularity as seen in their fancy, expensive clothing, their love of attention, their desire for honor and special privileges. They waited to be greeted, seated in the best seats in the house. The Talmud, a body of civil and ceremonial laws, Required that special greetings be given to rabbis; that they were to be esteemed greater than parents and reverenced on border with God. Jesus says, "Woe to you, Pharisees! Or you are cursed Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces." Luke eleven forty three. Jesus says to his disciples to beware of these men because they are dangerous. They have ascribed to themselves worth at the expense of others. Their love of respect and honor cast long shadows over the poor and needy, and their self-centeredness led to apathy at best and abusive behavior at worst. There is a spectrum that goes from complete self-absorption to noticing people who are suffering, to empathizing with them, to acting with compassion. If we are stuck over here being so preoccupied with our lives, our agendas, our reputation, as we so often are, we don't fully notice the others who are suffering around us, And therefore, we cannot empathize, we cannot act compassionately. When the posture of our heart is like the Jewish leaders, obsessed with what others think of us, we overlook the widow. As the offerings were flung into the treasury, their amounts may have been announced, explaining how Jesus knew that the widow only gave two small coins, You could imagine the narcissistic hit the rich received as they threw in their large sums of money and they were announced compared to the widow who felt altruistic joy of giving two small, seemingly insignificant coins, nothing to brag about, no honor or reputation to be gained, but she gave it selflessly. It has been said that the spiritual significance of something is inversely proportional to the publicity surrounding it. Jesus said to his disciples, When you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by all men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full, But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be done in secret. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Matthew 6, 2. Giving to the needy in secret is a practice of humility. Caring for elderly parents. Walking with someone through deep depression. Being a foster parent. Moms, we know that there are many endless diaper changes, feedings, late nights that go unnoticed as we care for the needs of our children. Entrepreneurs understand the grind of getting up every morning to set out to serve their clients and to create jobs with very little gratitude to meet them in the office or in the field. Teachers, you know the reality of selflessly sacrificing time, emotions, income for the sake of students that don't understand the value of the gift that you give them every single day. Yes, we desire praise and approval. We want an attaboy from our boss. We want an I love you, mommy, from our children, the genuine thank you from a client or a student who shows appreciation through scholastic achievement. Naturally, we seek approval of our peers, our spouses, our co-workers. We all need encouragement. And when we receive genuine praise, it does lift our spirits, and it helps us to continue in the right direction. But when our selfless giving goes unnoticed, when we don't receive the praise, or appreciation, or recognition that we rightly deserve, God sees it. Followers of Christ are free from seeking human and earthly recognition, reputation, and honor because God ascribes to us our worth in his eternal kingdom. He values our faithful giving, and he promises to reward us in far greater ways than we could ever receive from men second we overlook the widow when we use our power and position to oppress. Jesus is picturing complete destruction when he says of the Jewish leaders, they devour widows houses. And Jesus here in this passage is saying, look, these religious leaders who are devouring widows houses are doing it right in front of our house, our eyes and in the place, that should provide sanctuary and protection, the temple. The scribes and Pharisees were taking from people most in need and leaving the poor widows destitute. Luke calls these men lovers of money in Luke 16:14, And he doesn't give us details about how these widows' houses were being devastated or devoured, But extra biblical text does give us some insight into several ways they were being abused. First, women were second class citizens. Widows were second class citizens without representation from their husbands, making them easy prey. They had no rights or privileges in their society. And so the temple authorities would pay themselves exorbitant fees out of their estates to manage their property. The hospitality of widows would often be abused. It was taught that to support a rabbi through hospitality was equal to giving a sacrifice in the temple. And those who supported them monetarily were told they were worthy of a seat in heaven. Widows' homes would be taken as a pledge for the debts left by their deceased husbands that they would never be able to repay. And widows paid hefty fees for legal advice. These religious leaders, these religious leaders, the scribes, wrote the laws oppressing these women Keeping them as powerless second class citizens they could easily prey on. Then they praise God for their power and their morning prayers Blessed are you, Lord our God, ruler of the universe, who has not created me a woman, a Gentile, or a slave. Abuse always trickles from the top of the ladder down, from positions of power to the powerless. This woman was part of a religious system that was so corrupt, it gladly took the last two cents out of her hand and sent her home with nothing, completely devastated. Today, if we knew of a religious organization taking from destitute widows to line their own pockets, we would be outraged. Who is the widow in our lives? Who is being deliberately oppressed, Through gender, income, race, or class. Just like this widow in Luke, sometimes the most obvious thing can be the one thing no one wants to talk about. It takes spiritual insight to see what is right in front of us, and it takes courage to talk about it. For years, the white church has been silent on issues regarding justice and equality with other races. Sunday remains the most segregated day of the week. We have been slow to embrace racial reconciliation, and we have stayed comfortable worshiping as separate but equal so that you and I, we can maintain our positions of power. The divisions in the body of Christ are realized in the chasms that exist among believers of all racial, class, gender, economic, and denominational backgrounds. We may intellectually know this, but we stay comfortably disconnected from the reality of division and oppression because we are reluctant to give up our rights. Justice is the symptom of true religion. It is the heart of biblical faith. In our Western way of thinking, we almost always think of justice as individual rights. But biblical justice means bringing individuals together and sacrificing our time, our emotions, resources, money to make those weak places in our community stronger and more beautiful. Jesus sacrificed everything in order that the world might be reconciled to him. He initiated reconciliation even though he did not cause the breach. Jesus taught that we prove that we are his disciples by demonstrating love for one another John 11:311. <clears throat> Ask yourself, do I identify with Jesus? and his death and resurrection. If our answer is yes, the implications are tremendous. To die to self means we give up our positions of power. We orient our spirit towards brokenness and humility in order to intentionally pursue healing across all lines that divide and oppress The biblical mandate for reconciliation was given to you and I, the church first, in the great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And also in the Great Commission, to make disciples of all nations. We, the followers of Christ, should invest our lives to the process of reconciliation motivated out of love for one another and the salvation for the lost. I am grateful for the steps that all souls has taken towards racial reconciliation, but we still have a long way to go. Whether or not we are serious about the unity in the body of Christ still remains to be seen. What if all souls reflected the ethnic and economic diversity of our city? What if our leadership, our worship style, the body of believers represented here, represented the ethnic and economic strata of our city? Biblical unity must be more than intellectual truth. It must be fleshed out in our everyday lives, it means giving up power and position, being intentional about accepting and celebrating differences, forgiveness, sacrifice, recognizing who the real enemy is, and supporting each other in unconditional love. And last, but I think most importantly, we overlook the widow when our relationship with God is superficial. From all appearances, the Jewish religious leaders were spiritually prosperous and deeply religious. They dutifully performed countless rituals and ceremonies that were intended to be a picture of their purity of heart, but their righteousness was complete hypocrisy. The truth is their hearts were hollow Hard and spiritually starved, Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and all lawlessness. We can be very religious and still be so far away from God. We might be pretty good at fooling people, but eventually our integrity with our Father will manifest itself in our integrity with our relationships with others. If we give the appearance of being righteous but dismiss others with callousness, there is a gap in our relationship with God. If we lack compassion, empathy, generosity, and the willingness to protect the defenseless. We are the whitewashed tombs in Matthew 23. The way we treat the poor tells us the reality of how we love Jesus, Matthew 25. I was in the Kroger parking lot a few weeks ago. I was almost to my van, and I was loaded down with groceries, and I heard a lady calling out to me, asking where she could get help. It was apparent she was homeless. And she began to tell me her story, and initially I did feel compassion for her. But then I realized she was lying, and then I got frustrated and impatient. She was wasting my time with her lies. And then when I left her, I just felt complete disappointment in myself. I often feel paralyzed in moments like these because I don't know how to act compassionately. And so my only response to her was, you can go to CARM, they will help you. And even when I said it at the time, it sounded so empty with all my groceries around me. James two fifteen through 16, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and be well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? Two days later, she was in my direct path again in Market Square, asking me for help. Her wild blonde hair and her poor clothing and thick glasses could not be forgotten. She must have forgotten me, though, because the details of her story were different. And I walked right by her. But really, her, her story was the same. It was, see me, help me. I didn't engage her. I didn't look at her. I didn't validate her presence. And I immediately felt regret. Why did I deliberately choose not to see her? Well, Jesus deliberately calls his disciples to see the widow. This is the heart of our Lord. To see the outcast, the marginalized, the impoverished, Jesus sees more deeply than we see. He sees past the external surface to the heart of people. Often we don't give someone a second glance because we don't think there's anything to see. But to see someone, to really see someone, is to understand that there is something there beneath the surface that has the power to change the way we think or feel in an effort to be politically correct, people might say, I don't see race. I don't see religion. I don't see sexual orientation or social status because it doesn't matter to me. I just don't see it. That sounds great on the surface, but if we don't see the unique human experience of our neighbor who is gay, Middle Eastern, homeless, a single parent, then you don't see them. When we are apathetic to their individual suffering and trials, they become invisible to us. The widow in the temple would have also gone unnoticed had Jesus not seen her. Compassion is stepping outside of our little world's and into the world of someone else's, and doing that over and over again until we began to see the world differently through someone else's eyes. Not only did God step into our world, he came down, put himself in our skin with all its limitations, suffering, sorrow, sickness, from a borrowed manger at birth to a borrowed tomb at death and essentially homeless in between, Matthew 8.20, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. God became the poor and oppressed. He felt every struggle in this life, and he had empathy, compassion, and love for us. Matthew 9.36, seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like a sheep without a shepherd. A true relationship with Jesus is identifying with Him, dying to ourselves in His death, and living with His Spirit in His resurrection. Paul says in Romans, to offer yourselves to God as people who have been brought from death to life and the parts of your body as instruments of righteousness to God. What does it mean to offer yourself as an instrument of righteousness? Proverbs is an instructional book on how to live a righteous life. And Hebrew scholar, Bruce Waltke, defines the biblical word righteous, as seen repeatedly in the book of Proverbs, this way. I don't know if we have this slide. Okay. The wicked advantage themselves by disadvantaging others, but the righteous disadvantage themselves to advantage others. I'll read it again. I think it's a good one. The wicked advantage themselves by disadvantaging others, but the righteous disadvantage themselves to advantage others. In other words, a righteous person in right relationship with God disadvantages himself or herself for the sake of the community. Do we desire God's word to change us? to make us instruments of righteousness? Is there a willingness or a desire to be in hopeless places, to be an ally in poverty, exclusion, suffering, unfairness, injustice, even when it is inconvenient and it costs us? Back to my story. I asked a couple of you how I could have shown compassion to the homeless lady And one answer I received really helped me to understand that the first step in showing compassion is so easy. It is to simply acknowledge their personhood. Isn't that what Jesus did when he saw the widow and pointed out her to his disciples, her impoverished condition to the listening crowd, This particular person I was asking insight from often encounters homeless people on her commute home after work. And she shows wise compassion through seeing the person and validating their presence by simply introducing herself and asking their name. And when she does this, the typical response she receives is shock mixed with skepticism that she wants to know who they are. She creates this opportunity to engage with them in conversation, to see beyond their expressed immediate needs to the reason that those needs exist in the first place. She said that they will often ask her to remember their name and to look for them again. What are the consequences if we overlook the widow? What if, like the Pharisees, we set aside the commandments of God for the sake of our own self-interest, our own comfort, our control. False religion will be destroyed. Jesus is very clear in Luke twenty forty-seven that the most severe punishment will be on those who oppress the defenseless while pretending to know God. Verse 47, they devour widows' houses and for show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. The context before and after the widow is judgment. Condemnation on the leaders, the Jewish leaders, followed by the destruction of the temple. Of all things that could have precipitated the destruction of the temple, Jesus chooses an abused widow. This was it. This was the final nail. There were no other chances. Just days later, Jesus would be crucified. Luke 21.6, speaking of the temple, as for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Destruction of the temple came in 70 A.D. But this warning had been given to the Israelites for thousands of years through the prophets in the Old Testament, beginning in Deuteronomy, when they entered the promised land, to not forsake the widow, the orphan, or the immigrant. The religious leaders had ignored these warnings all through the Old Testament. You can see the theme repeatedly in Isaiah and Jeremiah. They had rejected Jesus, and the judgment is devastating. Jesus cried, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. You were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Isaiah 58, the whole chapter, I encourage you to read it. it, is very clear that when we distance ourselves from the disadvantaged, we distance ourselves from God's approval, the source of his blessing and the hand of his protection. But when we see and we act compassionately towards the widow, the orphan, and the emigrant. God promises to bring us shalom. There isn't an English word broad enough to encompass shalom. We often interpret it as peace, but it's much more than that. You may have seen the, this definition here before, but I think it's great. It's the webbing together of God, humans, and all of creation in equity, fulfillment, and delight. Who has been placed in your life that you may act as an instrument of righteousness, disadvantaging yourself for their benefit to bring them God's shalom? When we see clearly into the nature of suffering, when we recognize that we are not separate from suffering, and we use our God-given resources to transform suffering, we experience the true nature of God's shalom. Let us pray.